Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 66th program in this series. In this program, I'm in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, and this is right after the triumphal entry of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. This was described in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, where it says, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him, and that they had done these things to him." What was going on was that the religious leaders were looking for Jesus. They wanted to arrest Jesus and have him killed. So they told everyone to let them know where Jesus could be found so that they could arrest him, so that they could find a way to murder him. That was what was taking place. Jesus goes right in to Jerusalem in a public way. He is completely available. There he is. He is present. And so this was the context. The context was that the religious leaders wanted the people to notify them where he was. Well, here he is going into Jerusalem in a public way. Everyone can see him. Everybody knows where he is. If they are going to arrest him, here's their chance. Now, they did not do that. They did not follow through with what they told the people they were going to do because they did not have a legitimate reason to arrest him. They wanted to know where he was so that they could capture him in secret, not in public. So this is what the triumphal entry was about. It was about Jesus making himself available to the public to the religious leaders, so that there would be no question about where he was or how he could be found. And when he arrived, he arrived in a way that it would be easy to capture him. It would be easy to arrest him. He did not come as the king of Israel with a huge army. He didn't show up on a horse. He showed up on a donkey. This is not what you would expect a king to do. This is the significance of the prophecy that was described in verse 15. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. You would not expect a king to come in this manner. 
But this is what Jesus did, and this is the significance of Jesus fulfilling this particular prophecy. How else would you expect the prophecy to be fulfilled? You would not expect to see a king arrive in this manner. But this is exactly what Jesus did. He is the legitimate king of Israel. Now, even though he is the legitimate king of Israel, that didn't mean that the people accepted him as the king, namely the religious leadership who were there. And there were a lot of people who kept their loyalty with the religious leadership there in Jerusalem. So Jesus certainly did have a lot of support. You can see this described as people tearing branches off of trees and waving them in the air as Jesus is arriving. He certainly had a lot of people who were supporting him, but not enough. There were still plenty of people who did not want him to be the legitimate king of Israel, and so he did not have enough support in order to assert himself as the messianic king. Now, those who were supporting him, they were supporting him because he had performed a lot of miracles. He healed the man who was born blind. He resurrected Lazarus from the dead. He certainly was willing to stand up against the corruption that was present there in the temple compound and in the community. He was more than willing to speak out against it, and he probably would have been a great ruler. But the people were looking to him to fulfill a role that he was not going to be able to fulfill. And the relationship that the people wanted to have with him as their king was not really the kind of relationship that he wanted to have with the people. He wanted to have a different kind of relationship. He wanted a different kind of relationship. Certainly, he was popular. He had a large following. There were lots of people who would listen to what he had to say. But he still considered himself to be alone. He was alone in the sense that he did not have personal individual relationships that would fulfill the kinds of relationships that he wanted to have with people. At this time, the people were looking to him to have a relationship with them on the basis of being a king, to do things for them, to provide for them, to heal them if they got sick, stuff like that. But he was looking for something greater. And this is why he referred to himself as someone who was alone. This is described in verse 24, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. That's verse 24. In verse 24, Jesus uses the illustration of a grain, a single grain, and he uses this in order to describe himself and to describe what he's going to do. He is the lone grain. He is the grain of wheat. And he is alone. Now, yes, he did have his disciples, but even his disciples didn't understand the magnitude of what Jesus came to accomplish. 
They understood many of these things later, as was described in verse 16. His disciples remembered what happened and they understood later what these things meant and what these things were about. Now, Jesus gave this example, he gave this illustration right after he found out that there were others who were wanting to speak with him, others who were wanting to know him, others who were wanting to have a relationship with him, namely the Greeks, those who were considered to be non-Jews. This was described in verse 20 in John chapter 12, verse 20. It says, Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. He doesn't respond to the non-Jew at this time. What he does is he gives this illustration in order to say that he is alone and that there is something that he must do so that he won't be alone. And again, you might be thinking, well, Jesus was certainly not alone. He had his disciples. He had the people who welcomed him into town in the way that they did. And now he's got these non-Jews showing up who want to get to know him also, who want to speak with him. But what's important to see is that there was a limitation, a serious limitation concerning the kinds of relationships that Jesus could have with these other people. He could not have, as God, he could not have an intimate personal relationship with anyone. Because of the situation at hand, no one had salvation. No one was resurrected from the dead. No one was spiritually alive. There were issues between man and God that still needed to be resolved. The Old Covenant was established by God in order to have a certain kind of relationship with the people, with the nation of Israel as a collective, as a collective group of people. Through that covenant, God had a relationship, but it was not a personal one. It was a relationship such that they would do certain things and he would do other things in response. They were to live a righteous and holy life and he would bless them in return. There was never any opportunity for the people to really get to know their God as a person. The relationship was not about that. You didn't have to know your God. You did not have to know your God. You did not have to have any kind of relationship with him. All you needed to do was follow the law, follow the instructions, do that which is good, do not do that which is evil, and God will bless you in return. But that doesn't mean that you would necessarily know anything about him or know who he is. There was no guarantee that such things would occur. And so the relationship was conditional upon people's repentance and obedience. But because of the nature of people, the nature of people being spiritually dead, because of our condition, there was no way that anyone would fulfill the requirements of the Old Covenant God would not even need to respond and provide the blessings that he offered in return for people's obedience. 
So not even that relationship experienced any fulfillment. So with this relationship that God had defined with the people, he was alone. He was still very much alone. When the Greeks, when the non-Jews, showed up here in Jerusalem wanting to speak with Jesus, there was nothing to talk about. There was no relationship that he could establish with them. The covenant that was in effect was the Old Covenant. And he had already spent an abundant amount of time explaining that the people had failed to live in accordance with the Old Covenant. He already explained that with the people this was impossible. There was a need for a new covenant to be established, a new relationship to be established. And so before new relationships can be formed, there needed to be a new covenant that would go into effect. And this is what Jesus was talking about in verse 24 when he spoke about the grain of wheat. He said the grain of wheat needs to fall into the ground and die. If it doesn't, it will remain alone. So if Jesus does not fall into the ground and die, he will remain alone. The living God will remain alone. This was the time when Jesus would accomplish this. This is the time when Jesus is now going to die for the sins of the world, and he is going to resurrect from the dead in order to establish a new relationship that he can have with people so that he will not be alone. And until he does... He is going to be alone. He's going to continue to be alone, even though there seems to be plenty of people around him, plenty of people who want to talk with him and have a relationship with him. It is not the kind of relationship that he wants to have. And the only way he can have the kind of relationship that he wants to have is if he establishes a new covenant, he is going to have to die for the sins of humanity. He's going to have to offer to humanity a new relationship. People are going to have to accept and surrender to the new relationship as is defined by the new covenant. They're going to have to be born again by the Spirit of God to be made alive Through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, they need to be resurrected, made into a living person. They need to be made into a child of God. Then, the relationship between them and their God on an individual basis can be established and can begin to grow. And then, they will be among the many grain that are produced. That's the end of verse 24. It remains alone. But if it does, referring to the death of the seed, it produces much grain. And this is how Jesus is going to do it. He's going to die for the sins of the world. He's going to resurrect from the dead. 
He's going to send the Holy Spirit to people to resurrect them from the dead spiritually through the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God within them. They are going to be made into a new creation in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. They are going to be made alive, a living person, a child of God. That is what Jesus came to accomplish. And when people are resurrected from the dead, when they are made children of God, then through this new relationship that they can have with their God, he will not be alone. They will not be alone either. But for the first time, the living God will not be alone. Through this new relationship that he will have with people, he will have a people who know who he is, who know him in an individual and personal way, who have a relationship with him that they will experience throughout their life while they are alive here on this earth, and it will carry on into eternity after they physically die. It is a relationship that will never end. And the foundation of it is that God does not hold their sins against them, and that God gives them an inheritance in Christ Jesus that they are able to make use of and live with in their daily lives. So the way that our God finally accomplishes the task of obtaining a relationship with someone else, an eternal kind of relationship with someone else, the way that he accomplishes this is through what he does in his death, burial, and resurrection. And this is a moment that he has been working on since he created humanity to begin with. It had been an ongoing project for over 4,000 years. And during all of that time, our God was alone. But now at this time, he is going to establish the opportunity through which he can have relationships with others and others can have relationships with him so that he will not be alone. Now, the way that he accomplishes this through the gospel is to make people into a new creation, a child of God. So the way that God accomplishes this is he has children. This is how God makes the transition from being alone to not being alone. He has children. Children of God who are born again in Christ Jesus. This is how our God establishes relationships with others so that he's not alone. He does it by having children. The children of God, those who surrender to the new covenant. These are the people who will get to know him for who he is who will hear him, who will know him, who will understand him, who will grow and mature and build a relationship with him that continues to grow and grow over the course of time. And this relationship is one of mutual participation. 
such that his children will have opportunities to participate in the things that he is doing in this world, and he will have opportunities to participate in the things that they are doing while living their lives in this world. So Jesus goes on and he speaks about life in this world, because it's not just about what happens in eternity. It really is also about what happens now, what happens while we are physically alive. There is a lot to understand and to appreciate and to experience in this life that we have right now that is very important when it comes to the relationship that our God wants to have with us. But this relationship is established by him having children. And we become children of God when we discover or hear the gospel, when we surrender to the new covenant. It really is a decision. It is a choice. A person will recognize that they do not have a relationship with God. They will recognize their condition. They will recognize his provision. And they will embrace the truth of the gospel and be born again by the Spirit of God. This is the beginning. But when this happens, this does not automatically mean that now you have an involved personal intimate relationship with God. It just means that you have now been made alive and you have a new beginning. That's what it means. It's a fantastic opportunity. But unfortunately, there are many people who simply do not pursue that which they have. And so a person can certainly be in Christ. They can be a born-again believer. They can be a child of God. But then they do not grow and mature in the faith. From God's point of view, he saved this person. He resurrected them from the dead so that he could have a relationship with them. He would not feel alone. They would not feel alone. There would be a togetherness. There would be a relational experience between the two so that they may know him and he may know them and that there may be some mutual participation. But unfortunately, most people do not move far in this direction. And it has a lot to do with the fact that there are a lot of things that we believe When we first discover the gospel and we surrender to the gospel, there are still a lot of things that we believe that are simply not true. For example, there are a lot of people who will then relate to God in a similar way as was defined in the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant said, do not sin, repent, obey, Do all that is good and you will be blessed by God. And so people go ahead and they pursue that and they try to do all that is good. They don't do anything that is evil to the best of their ability. And then they relate to God as if he owes them, as if he now exists to bless them for their obedience to him. And this is the old covenant. This is not the new covenant. And so God does not respond. He simply does not respond to that kind of relationship. 
And so how do people feel? They will tend to feel alone. Like, where is God? Why didn't he bless me for all of my obedience? And God also can have an opportunity to feel alone. Because he's got this child, he's got this born-again person, who's not relating to him on the basis of what he's already done for them. They are relating to him on the basis of what they want him to do instead of on the basis of what he already did. So he has to decide, is he going to comply with that or not? And in general, the answer is, he's not going to. And so he can feel alone. Now, this is no different than if the person never surrendered to the new covenant to begin with. And so those few people who move forward in their understanding of what the new covenant is and live by the inheritance that they have in Christ, it is those few people with whom God can build a relationship with such that he won't feel so alone. And this is worth it. This is good. And these are people who God enjoys. Thank you for listening. This is the 66th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 12, verse 24, where I was showing that God is very much alone. Jesus referred to himself as the lone grain, that unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. So this was a way to understand that our God, who manifested in the flesh and dwelt among us as Jesus, up until this point in history, God was very much alone. There was a relationship that he defined with the nation of Israel through the Old Covenant, but this was a covenant that resulted in God still being alone. It is through the new covenant, which is not like the old at all. It is through the new covenant that God can experience relationships with other people so that he will not be alone. But this is conditional on our belief in the truth that he reveals. And I will explain this more in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net